Words matter. They can change the course of your day. Just listen. You are brave. You are stronger than you think. You have value, worth, and dignity. Don't you feel better already? Welcome to Speak Healing Words, the podcast. Join author and board-certified life coach Janelle Reardon as she opens a very important conversation about the power of our words. Hello and welcome to Speak Healing Words, the podcast. I am Janelle, your host for today's conversation. I'm really excited to be bringing you this series called Reflections. As I just experienced a milestone birthday and I'm standing on the threshold of a brand new decade. At first, I was really overwhelmed and I thought, oh, 60, are you kidding me? But as the celebrations unfolded, I started to notice something different inside of me. <laughs> something brand new, actually. And I, I thought about it all weekend and I just, I felt really comfortable in my skin. I felt strangely and beautifully and deeply content. Sad that my three children and, and daughter-in-law and son-in-law and my daughter's boyfriend, Novio, you know, that they all couldn't be around the table with me, but I, I was sad, but I was deeply content. And I felt really at home in my body. And if you've been listening to the Speak Healing Words podcast or been a part of our community, or maybe you're brand new today, I share a lot about my journey, and I always hope that my journey informs your journey. My story informs your story. Uh, healing happens in community. And in this community, we are committed to the threefold cord of all things healthy, a healthy sense of self, healthy behavior patterns, and healthy communication skills. And I believe that when we, we embrace and practice this threefold cord, that we become heart lifters, men and women who stand and move in our spheres of influence with tremendous emotional health and wellness, which leads us to spiritual health and authenticity. So why, why was I feeling that way? I kept asking myself and my older daughter was like, mom, have you processed everything that happened over your birthday weekend? And I'm like, no, I haven't had time. But then after my yin yoga class, yin yoga is a beautiful practice that um, serves in healing your body on the deepest level, in the fascia, in the connective tissue. And this practice uh, has sincerely impacted me. Yes, I have been a dancer most of my life since age four as a twirler and then age five and six entering into a dance studio. But so my body has always uh, moved and, and found expression in movement. And when I broke my back in 1998 and had to pretty much die to the dancer in me and transition from teaching dance and having a dance studio and move into a different uh, realm of life, I 
still needed a way to connect to my body and express myself. And I found that in the practice of yoga. And then yin yoga, Y-I-N yoga, is a very calming, uh, beautiful practice in which you hold each move three to five minutes. And in his book, The Body Keeps the Score, which I recommend all the time by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, he believes that yin yoga is a beautiful practice that will bring embodiment or help integrate someone who has been through trauma and perhaps has disintegrated or disembodied or, um, you know, just not been comfortable in their skin because to be in your own skin when you've been traumatized is, is pretty, pretty dangerous and uncomfortable because it's not safe. So long story short, I had just practiced this beautiful hour of yin yoga and was beautifully contemplative and meditative during that time. And I was talking to my teacher afterwards and she was asking me about the weekend. And I said, you know, I just felt so strangely at peace and deeply content and yes, sad that my kids weren't here, although my daughter Brooke and her son-in-law surprised me and that was amazing. I said something that actually was revelational in this conversation. I said, you know what? I'm actually entering this decade whole. W-H-O-L-E. And if you've read Overcoming Hurtful Words, Rewrite Your Own Story, I offer this practice, this acronym of whole, these five steps to becoming whole. W-H-O-L-E. And when I said it, I was like, that's it. That's what I'm feeling. That's what I'm sensing, that I am whole. (laughs) Wow. This is the first decade of my life that I am actually whole. Mm. So let me go a little, let me rewind a little bit. Let's, Let's rewind this story, this development, this journey, just a little bit. And today's podcast, I I want to talk about years, nine or actually years, I'm sorry, zero to nine. Yes, years 10 to 19. So as I'm going through this podcast series, Reflections, I wanted to look back at my life journey each decade and draw from each decade a life truth, some beautiful life rhythm or life marker that happened during that decade. So in our last episode, Born an Empath, I shared from age zero to nine when I truly believe the empathic person that I am today was being developed during that decade. I didn't know, I wasn't aware, but empathic signals were all over the place. And I shared a story from that decade. So just go back to last episode and and maybe you'll see that perhaps you are also empathic, intuitive, sensitive, and it will help you understand yourself a little better. So in today's episode, I wanted to talk about forming a false sense of self, or the formation, how we form, why we form, what the heck is a false self. 
I talk about true self and false self quite a bit. So I just want to dig a little bit deeper into it. And in this decade of age 10 to age 19, this was where Janelle, little Janelle, growing up into adolescent and teenager, definitely formed her false self. And I write about this in Overcoming Hurtful Words in Practice 3, Choose Healthy Over Unhealthy. And I write on page 57 about accepting and understanding our God-created identity. So, you know, I'm a teacher, so I always have to review. Let's just remind ourselves for a moment of our emotional vocabulary, of our language of emotions, because that's what we do in this community. We are building and developing our emotional intelligence, which means we have a very strong emotional vocabulary. We understand emotions. We understand the feelings that they give us in our body and the actions that we take because of them. So when I talk about a true self, in my work, I call it a God-created identity based on Genesis 2-7. When God Almighty, because I see the world through the framework of faith, God breathed his life into you and into me. And in doing so, his breath became a part of us. All that we need, all the endowments, all the giftings, all the strength, resilience, power, perseverance, everything we needed for our life journey was in that breath. So I will intermingle the terms true self with our God-created identity. Our sense of self is our identity. It is our self-worth. It's who we believe we have been created to be. It's our essence. Okay. A false self then, on the other hand, is described best by a a beautiful um, clinical psychologist, Tian Dayton. And I'm going to use these beautiful words. A false self is often seen as the idealized self or the self through which we operate because our true self just somewhere along the line, usually quite young, felt too weak, too inadequate, or overwhelmed to function and gain approval in the situation in which that little soul finds itself. And we do this because we need to protect ourselves. It is our fight, flight, or Free, you know, our fight, flight, or freeze uh, dynamic, our survival mechanism. We do this to ward, to ward off mounting anxiety that might be uh, building up in our little bodies. You know, children are little souls. They have little bodies. And when you perhaps experience trauma, big T, little T, middle T, any size trauma, anything that's too big for you to manage in the moment, when a young child experiences that, the emotions are way too big for the little soul, for the little body. So in order to try to understand or try to cope, we develop 
this false self. Okay, hang with me. We also develop it to help a family maintain its denial of problems <laughs> or keep the true self safe and often hidden to please and placate the family system. So just listen and soak this in. Rewind, take notes. I will post this on the blog this week so that you can have the, the show notes from this. Sometimes a false self is a bit like putting on an act. You know, we become a personality. We hide our true self so effectively it becomes lost. And sometimes we can't even find it. And so there's a cost to losing our essence, to losing our true self. A false self becomes so well constructed and adapted or it garners so much acceptance and a sense of place and power within the family that spawned it and it relies on it to maintain the status quo that eventually the true self will become lost. Sometimes we fear feeling the pain underneath the coping strategies that we have developed that have become this false self that we may feel even our very place within the family might be jeopardized if we are our true self. Now, just stick with me for a moment. A few weeks ago, I went to a powerful conference on the Enneagram, E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M, a personality typing system led by one of my heroes, and I wrote about her a few weeks ago on my e-newsletter, Beatrice Chestnut, and her uh, co-partner in her workshop was Uranio Pays. And together, they just opened my eyes even more, especially Beatrice, to the power of early childhood. And she taught quite a bit on... Um, the, the power that exists in objects relations theory, which is a beautiful work theory within psychology that talks quite a bit about the early years. And so some of the things I took away from that were that starting in childhood, key issues are grown out, key issues are grown, and they come out of our unmet needs in childhood. So we develop this adaptive coping strategy. And she actually defined personality. I always say it's how you show up for life. It's who you are when you walk in the room. But she added a piece to that. And, and that personality is our adaptive strategies, our adaptive defense strategies of what we may have picked up along the way to be accepted in our family, to make it through our family life, to fit in, etc. Uh, most common presenting issues and tight patterns within the Enneagram reflect the impact of unmet needs and adaptations. So, turning the page here, there's just so much good stuff I took down. So, you know, human babies have uh, the longest time of dependency, uh, according to Karen Horney, a psychological author. And so in our childhood, in those early zero to six years, 
absolutely essential that we have safe soil, that we are in a safe environment. And if we aren't, and we have some early wounding through that time, which I've talked plenty about in many of our previous episodes, that's when we develop coping. That's when we develop something that will protect us from being um, hurt even deeper. So I just want to share a story again, and I have shared it before, but it's worth sharing because I believe it's one of the identifying markers in my childhood that shaped me and formed my false sense of self. So I'm just going to read it to you from Practice 3 in Overcoming Hurtful Words, page 57. The Quaker teacher Douglas Steer was fond of saying that the ancient human question, who am I, leads inevitably to the equally important question, whose am I? For there is no selfhood outside of relationship. So worthy of repeating, so worthy of me. I want to hear this over and over again till it sinks into the marrow of my bones. There is no selfhood outside of relationship. Accepting our Genesis 2-7 beginning means accepting our God-created identity. Once we know the source of our identity, that we are members of God's family, We will know who we are and thus be able to fulfill our God-given capacity in every sphere of influence. Until then, we give way too much room for those unhealthy behaviors to control us. They hold us back and eventually hold back all our relationships by creating fear, fractures, and falsehoods. We know that identity in its truest form is basically just a set of characteristics by which a person or thing is definitively recognizable or known. Identity is expressed through our selfhood, through our personality, our distinctiveness, our characteristics, our uniqueness. We have inner qualities and outer qualities. We all need to understand why we were created, right? Boy, I wrestled with that question. Why was I even born? Because for so many years in my life, I felt like I just was a problem in the family. You know, my mother said, oh, you were an oops, you were a surprise. Uh, My father was having an affair at the time. You know, my brother and sister had their nice little relationship. They were very close together in age. I'm eight and seven years younger than them. So there were just a lot of, through the dysfunction, me coming to that deep question in a a therapy session, why the heck was I even born? But once we move through that and accept that God has brought us into this world, we're not a mistake, we're not a surprise, we are not an oops, (laughs) Oh, you are not an oops. Somebody needs to hear that today. You are not an oops. You're not a whoops. You're not a mistake. You were destined and placed in your mother's womb for such a time as this. So on page 59, because I frame my life through that that biblical worldview, that follower of Christ view, I then have this strong, solid identification with Christ, which is known in counseling and psychiatry as secure attachment. 
I'll go back a few episodes. I talk all about it. Secure attachment is the essence. It's our birthright. It's what we we are supposed to get from our parents, from our home life. We're supposed to. It's a birthright. But some of us don't get that. So when I have the strong, solid identification with Christ, when I know that he breathed his life into me and made me a living being, well, that clarifies, you see, that while my identities may be expressed, enhanced, and empowered by my marriage partners, my boyfriends, my girlfriend, my children, my peers, my culture, my work, my relationships, how well off I am, my politics, my ambitions, my success, my athletics, my body image, my service, my ministry, you name it. While our identities are actually expressed and empowered and enhanced through all of those things, they will no, we will no longer be defined by them. We look to no one or no thing to define us or try to make us something we were never created to be. Oh, so critical to living a beautiful, beautiful life. So, so critical. Once that voice of... Once that voice, the well, actually, once the voices of culture or pressure or facades or false sense of selves, once those voices are hushed, then we can emerge our true self, our powerful, powerful, powerful God created self, and begin to live from a beautiful place that makes all pretense and false senses of ourself fade away. And it allows authenticity to flourish. So as you and me, as we solidify our understanding of our God-created identity, we then will function at our highest level of potential. And before you know it, we'll become heart lifters, encouraging other people to do the same. Now lean in on this one. No longer will our lives be ruled by unhealthy behaviors or driven by buried emotional pain. Instead, we will be shaped by the passion to maintain healthy relationships as healthy men and women in healthy community. Individual healing creates community healing. Individual healing creates family healing. And that is contagious. It's irresistible and it's freeing. Ah, oh, so powerful. An atmosphere of love and acceptance and accountability, because we talk a lot about that, envelops each of us. And before you know it, it attracts others to join us and to be want to be in relationship with us. There's just nothing I want more right now than to help you fully understand the power of, of really solidifying your knowledge of your identification in Christ and your understanding of secure attachment. So when children experience secure attachment, the world is a safer, more secure place for them. I've read this before, but I'll read it again. Psychologist John Bowlby first coined and developed attachment theory, helping the world understand how very essential this is to living a meaningful life. 
When we don't experience secure attachment, we spend a great deal of emotional energy seeking security and safety. Perhaps like me, this wasn't afforded you in your childhood, but it's not too late. It is never, ever, ever too late. So let me explain to you how I developed my false sense of self. Here we go. Without being aware of it. Now, remember, we're children. When we were children, we just absorb our environment. We absorb the emotional atmosphere that surrounds us. We can't make sense of it. We can't understand it. We're not aware of what it is doing to us and in us. But as we grow and mature, we can change and develop new growth mindsets and new growth patterns and become or return to our essence, to our true self. So without even being aware of it as a young girl in that second decade of my life, you know, I looked for external pursuits for people to fill a deep emotional need within myself so that I could feel valued, so I could feel worthy and I could feel dignity. But instead of finding these critical identity forming qualities in my earthly father's attention and influence, and even my mother in on many respects now as I'm older and look and have been by her bedside for so many years, walking her through many, many uh, medical traumas, I've come to see there were deficits not only in my father, but in my mother. Also very many positive things. But right now we're talking about our development as a human being and the role that our early caregivers have on helping us have secure attachment and helping us develop a very solid identification with our true self. So without realizing it, I entered the competitive world of dance and beauty pageants and that became the basis of who I was. Without my realizing it, the stage became a foster parent of sorts. I felt so comfortable and at home under the bright lights of a stage and performing that my identity formed under the influence of three A's, affirmation, approval, and the addictive applause of others. Without hesitation, I remember the moment that false sense of self entered my soul. I remember it so clearly. It was the fourth grade talent show. As I twirled my silver baton, this time successfully completing a double turn to Galway and Mancini's tune of Baby Elephant Walk, Oh, Spotify that. It's a good one. I saw my peers smiling and approving my skills. Now, fourth grade, I had just moved from Camp Lejeune, North Carolina to what had been a very happy, good place to Norfolk, Virginia, to a new school, new neighborhood, new everything. So I'm at a new school. I'm eight foot tall in fourth grade and lanky and pale and my mother cut my hair like a boy, not the cutest, but I could twirl a baton and I could dance. And so after the talent show, my peers were dang impressed. How'd you do that? They asked. You're really good. Prior to that performance, I, and I just said that I was the tall, lanky, redheaded girl. But over time, that, that was the beginning. That's the foothold. That's where 
Oh, they like me when I perform. They actually applauded me when I performed. That got in there. And over time, a web of human opinion entangled my soul and it wove an intricate pattern of pleasing others. So life for this little Janelle, who then grew up from 10 to 19, entering many dance competitions, twirling and dancing her way through many talent shows, high school beauty pageant, won that pageant, was invited to be in many local Miss America preliminary pageants. You see, it just, it just evolved and evolved and evolved and I got better at dance and better at dance and I lost my true self because the opinion of man, the applause of man, and the need for that to fill my empty tank where value, worth, and dignity should have been took over. Yeah. It's called a disordered attachment. So when you haven't had secure attachment, you have an insecure attachment, which leads you to find your value, worth, and dignity in something outside of yourself. Oh, this is so difficult to put into words, but I'm hoping that you're getting it. So life for me then in that decade became a cycle of standing in front of a panel of judges, typically five, much like contestants you would see on The Voice or Shark Tank or the American Idol or the million other shows now. And then standing in front of men and women in my church because I found Christ and, um, yeah, I'm going to save that for the next decade. But the truth is these people, these judges, these audiences, these vacant compliments just perpetuated the formation of a false sense in my life. And I got further and further and further away from this beautiful little girl that God breathed his life into to be an empathic, intuitive, lovely, caring, quiet, pensive, smart little girl. She turned into a performer. So unfortunately, this unhealthy pattern of pleasing others, it really led me further and further away. And as I said, the stage or my, I like to call the false self in my life, the staged self. It's really the old saga when you watch someone on stage in a movie or something, and then they go back to the dressing room and they just look in the mirror and they don't, they don't have any idea who they really are because they, they play act so well. They take on a role so well that when the lights go out and you're alone in a room, you haven't got any idea who you are outside of the costumes, outside of the performance, outside of the applause, outside of, I mean, we see it over and over again, Stars Born, right? Just the recent great movie. Just so many times we become a staged self. We become, we morph into what our parents want us to be, their ideal of us. Yeah. They don't let us move to our own rhythm. 
They don't allow us to develop our God-breathed identity because they just want us to fit into the mold of the family. We're going to come back to that in a later episode. So I was always filled with constant, constant criticisms and self-criticism and just lots and lots of layers. So maybe that can help you reflect now as we as we come to the short (laughs) summary of what it looks like to form a false sense of self thinking about your own life and identifying markers identifying fourth grade talent shows or what markers in your life might have really served as a significant shift where you shape-shifted where you became a chameleon in sense, where you changed colors in order to please a dad or a mom or an aunt or an uncle or a teacher or a coach or a pastor or a Bible leader or you fill in the blank, where you shape-shifted to find your sense of value, worth, and dignity in something outside of your soul, outside of yourself whether it be athletics or, excuse me, intellect or music or academia or church or religion. Where in your life, in which decade, did you form a false sense of self, an idealized self, a staged self? Identify that marker and take some time to reflect on that. I I offer some great questions in overcoming hurtful words in that third practice that will help guide you through your Genesis 2-7 God-breathed identity and guide you to understanding. So let's just go back now then to last weekend's birthday celebration when I, I sat in the birthday girl chair with these big Mylar balloons behind me, a big 6-0 in gold foil. And I sat in this birthday girl chair and the beautiful men and women that came to this surprise party spoke healing words over me and shared what I meant to them. And it was overwhelming and I was so humbled and so filled to the full. And as I sat there, I thought, huh, I am at ease, E-A-S-E. And to me, in all of my study and in my work with clients and in my writing of these books and my personal inner work, I now equate my true self to a feeling of ease that I actually just, my nervous system is at ease. I'm so comfortable in my skin. I'm not living out of my amygdala, my fight, flight, or freeze. I am not triggered by things that have been triggering me since the first decade of my life. I am at ease. 
And I truly believe that when we embrace and understand and identify with that God-breathed Genesis 2-7 identity, then we live and move through our life from a place of ease. E-A-S-E. It has been so good being with you today. Welcome to this new decade with me. And I just pray that you can reflect this week, take some important time, go to my website, go to the Heartlift Method, stage one, phase one, and listen to that Genesis 2-7 meditative exercise again and again and again. I listen to it frequently and remind myself and infuse inside of my body more ease, more ease, so I can be comfortable in my skin, so I can move through my life and live a very rich, meaningful life. That's what I have for you today. I hope you remember every single day that you, my friend, have value, worth, and dignity. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. It was great having you here. For even more great content and conversation, please join the Speak Healing Words community at JanelleReardon.com.